And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Friday afternoon, it's just after the 4.30 news, so that means it's time to talk all things financial and to Mm -hmm. uh, help shine some light on these financial questions. It's Luke Smith from Envision Financial. Good afternoon. Mate, how you doing? You good? So far, so good, and uh, I've had uh, my green shirt washed. I'm ready to put it on after dinner. Do you know what? Go Raiders. (laughs) Let's just get that out there now. Go Raiders. Well, we'll we'll do it again at the end as well. Today, you've brought along with you yet another bodyguard, I mean I special guest. I have. And so, can you please do the honours? I can. So, as part of our understanding series this month, we're getting a specialist in each week to talk about things that come across my desk that aren't in my wheelhouse that I generally refer out for, which are very important parts of people's decisions. Um, so, today we're lucky enough to have Mark Peridian from Trinity Law. He's a, a property specialist and, you know, he's a cross how to buy, what to buy, and all of the legalities and, and, and things that we uh, that we don't understand, which, you know, makes him very good at what he does. So I thought we'd just cover off some of the sort of key questions that I get regularly, and he can, you know, shed a bit of light on, you know, what to look for, what to consider, and sort of make what could otherwise be a very daunting and exciting purchase all at the same time a little bit clearer and a little bit easier to understand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice. Thanks for coming in, mate. No, you're welcome. Good to be here. Well, I've got to say that uh, when you're buying a property, whether it's uh, a property to live in or a property as an investment property, either way, there's an overwhelming number of things to think about. Where do we begin? Yeah, well, I say I think it's 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 quite dawning. So, you know, I think we'll throw it over to Mark and sort of say, can you give us an idea of, I guess, the things people should consider so that they can go into something, you know, like a, a big property purchase with their, with their eyes open? Well, a house is usually someone's major investment um, asset and what just to clarify as well I don't advise people what to buy but Mm. I can help them with how to buy Mm. Um, Luke's obviously in the uh, business of wealth creation and what we can do as part of our advice is help to protect that wealth Um, the first question when you're asked when you're looking at a house is well who's going to buy it now that can be a pretty simple question but you need to take into consideration other um, aspects of your life. So while it is a single transaction, it, it does invade every aspect of your life. And I'll give you an example. Um, if, for example, uh, your career or your job is something that's inherently risky, it does carry with it some risk and some risk of being sued, then it's probably advisable not to own the house in your own name. You might looking at, look at putting it into a spouse's name instead so that if you do get sued, your biggest asset is protected. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. obviously... that's sometimes uh, something that's overlooked when you're looking at buying a house everyone gets excited and caught up in it but always come back to well this is a a long-term asset and you want it to be protected into the future Mm -hmm. Um, some other points just quickly um, if you're buying it with a spouse are you buying it as joint tenants or tenants in common as joint tenants um, if one of the uh, purchases dies it automatically is transferred to the other it doesn't form part of your estate as tenants in common your half or your share of the property will go in accordance with your will, mm. um, which more often than that will be to the spouse, but in some circumstances it isn't, so that's an important consideration. Yeah, that's that's a really important point because in, in today's society with the number of blended families that are coming together, part of what we see regularly is, well, what would happen as part of our estate planning? And, and we're going to have Mark back in another week to, to talk about the, the do's and don'ts in relation to wills, but it's it's something that we see a lot because... If somebody was to predecease a spouse and you've got a blended family, part of that estate planning process with your accumulated wealth is, well, where will my stake in the house go? And I think that point there is really, really important and people understand the difference because we often ask that question and I get, oh, I don't know. What does everyone else do? So I think it's another one that we stressed like we did last week. What you need may be different to your friends. 
So don't assume that what they did is is, is right or wrong. Um, so, mate, yeah, crack on with, with, with what you got there. Well, I think one of the mistakes people make when they're entering into a, a transaction, a conveyancing transaction, is just to think that it is a very simple process, one size fits all, and everyone does it, so it must be very simple. In fact, it isn't. There's so mm. many different ingredients that need to be looked at and be done correctly so in order for you to get the, the, the most benefit out of it. Some other things to consider before um, buying a house is looking at your loan approval. So at the moment with the, the current pandemic, loan approvals are taking upwards of 45 days just to get approval. Um, right. So if you're excited about buying, um, you need to act pretty quickly firstly with your loan approval to work out what you can borrow. That takes time and then you start looking. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because uh, obviously if you're putting a, a, a finance clause in your contract and your finance doesn't get approved within that time, you're in all sorts of bother. Absolutely. And that, that's a huge risk. We would always say to our, our clients, never ever exchange contracts to buy something if you don't have unconditional finance approval. Banks can be a little bit tricky. They might give you formal approval. Um, you get all excited, but that's not unconditional approval. That'll, sometimes, that'll be subject to, for example, a valuation on the property, etc. So it needs to be very careful. Well, I don't know. I've, I've been advised. Well, maybe advised is not the right word. It's been suggested to me. How's that? It has been suggested to me that it can be a very good idea to always put a finance clause in there just in case you want an out. Mm. If you can find a seller that would agree to a finance clause, by all means. <laughs> I think I think the other thing to stress here as well is the, the lending world has changed so dynamically in the last six months, 12 months, 18 months in light of the pandemic and even prior that it's very important people stay on top of that sort of stuff. So we see a lot of people come in or go and see a mortgage broker. Yep, got pre-approval, great. The lending world could have changed in a number of months where – they may actually not be able to get or continue or reconfirm that pre-approval because sure. the criteria that the bank are looking at has changed. So it's it's something that people need to be mindful of because it can be very frustrating to have to go back through the application process to get refinanced. Yeah, and I think the federal government just recently told the banks to ease off a little bit on, on some of those uh, conditions for lending. They wanted to make it easier for people to borrow. But you never know what the next change is going to be, do you? No, you don't. Even Unless it's legislated, the banks are unlikely to ease up. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you updated with the progress in that regard. So when, when it comes to buying stuff, what are some of the expenses that people will incur normally in relation to the transaction? Well, I guess in relation to the transaction, there's always um, obviously legal costs, very important. Um, moving costs. Uh, there'll be stamp duty on a transaction. Um, stamp duty is an interesting one. That's just changed. That's now paid after completion. Um, previously, it was between exchange and completion if there was a bank involved, but now it happens after. Um, as long as the transaction costs, though, to consider, you've also got to consider your ongoing costs, for example, your rates or if it's a unit mm. in a units plan, uh, body corporate levies. Mm -hmm. they can be significant and mm -hmm. they can, you know, if you're on the line as to whether you can afford to purchase, that might tip you back into not purchasing, depending on what those are. Um, just some other points. If you are going to buy a new a new build, either a, not necessarily a unit, but a new house, have a look at who the builder is and research your builder. Make sure they've got good reputations, good reviews. Um, mm -hmm. Check their insurance um, just to make sure that if something does go wrong, you are covered. Make sure there's enough concrete in the basement so that, you know, we don't see what's happened in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then there's um, also listen to uh, your professional contacts in relation to their contacts and referrers. They might, uh, if you have a trusted advisor in your circle, um, they usually would only refer you then on to people that they trust because mm. they've had experience with uh, and they know do good work. So mm. always rely on those referrals mm. where you can get them. Now, of course, if you're buying as an investor, that's one thing. If you're buying a property to live in, it's a totally different 
kettle of fish in terms of what you might consider. For example, if you're buying a property to live in, your primary consideration is going to be, is this the house I want to live in? Does it suit my needs? Mm. Do I feel comfortable here? If you're buying as an investor, you're not thinking about your own needs. You're thinking about the needs of your prospective tenant, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, as, as part of a broader wealth accumulation strategy, whether it's commercial property, residential property, whether it's inside a super fund or out, I think, like we say most weeks, you need to start with the end in mind. Why am I buying it and what is it doing for me? And you'd look at that sort of asset structure and the the individual property in the same way you would a share, a fixed interest fund or any other form of investment that what am I going to get for the purposes? And the big distinction there is, is as you say, there's an emotional connection because it's my home. Yes. That will change the way you look at something against what am I getting from a return perspective and how does it fit into my broader portfolio? Because I'm not pro or anti property, but I'm 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 anti an uninformed decision. And if that sort of investment is appropriate for what you want with the resources that you have, then property is a great opportunity to be able to accumulate wealth in a fairly controlled environment with generally very good security. Um, obviously, when you do your research and get your structures correct, um, so it's something that people should go into and think: Well, why am I doing this? And what's the end game? Because it could be a medium-term project, it could be a long-term project. Your views on those sorts of assets are very different to the family home that you're going to live in and become, you know, your everyday asset. So it's 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 important to understand those differences. Now I'm not the expert here, but correct me if I'm wrong. If you've only ever bought your own home before and you're thinking about buying an investment property, mm-hmm. there's some additional things to bear in mind because the the legalities may not be the same if you're buying an investment property. The tax treatment might be different. You'll correct. get a different rate of finance. Yep, very much there's, so. there's a few different things to think about. Yeah, very much so. I think that's a very very good point because you know as part of of what somebody like Mark would do is to advise then on the appropriate structure. Are you buying it in joint names? Are you buying it tenants in common? Are you buying it within a family trust? Could you be buying it within a self-managed super fund? We see a lot of that sort of acquisition for the self-employed people that want to own the premise that maybe their business works out of. So, you know, the the skill set that, that Mark has is really to then be able to give you the the questions to make you think about these things so that You've got the right structure, you can manage your deductions, you know what your income's going to be, and you've got control over what happens at the end because ultimately a commercial asset or a residential asset that is for investment purposes will either be for capital growth or for income to fund your lifestyle and, and getting all of that done right at the start yeah. gives you that peace of mind to know that you know, you've got it correct. Now, Mark, the first thing you said was uh, making up your mind whose name is going to be on the deed, uh, whether you're going to put it in your own name or maybe in some circumstances you might want to put it into the name of your spouse. My first thought when I heard you say that was, yeah, but what if she turns around and runs off with the gardener and divorces you? I'm not a family lawyer, but I have it, I have it, on, uh, <laughs> I have it on good authority that it doesn't really matter. Um, not that I've asked that question. Yes, yeah, so I just yeah. I, I thought, hmm, marriages don't always end well. You know, I thought yeah. that might be a point that should be covered. Yeah. No, as I said, from all reports, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah, and if I ever lose my house, I'm not brave enough to take it off my wife. <laughs> she can have it. <laughs> now, what what are some of the more important uh, technical points relating to a contract? What what do we need to cover? Yep. So the contract of sale obviously is the is, is the is the agreement that creates a bonding obligation between the buyer and seller. Uh, consists of a number of parts. You've got your, your your schedule, which is the commercial terms, the price, the completion date, um, relevant searches. So you'll have a title search, a crown lease if it's a house, and a lease conveyancing inquiry. Um, 
They are produced by the government, so it just shows a record of ownership, the crown lease, how long is your crown lease, given that they work out crown lease system in the ACT. Um, one of the major things that goes into the ACT contracts are building and pest reports and a compliance yes. report. Well, um, e even if you're not in the ACT, it's still a good idea to have one. Absolutely, even if you're not. And then um, while it's not legislated, they're included in the contract, we would yep. always say go out and get your own um, report done. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's not a it's not a ticker box. It's not something you can just quickly review and um, you know hope that everything's okay. Uh, I've, I've had a bit of a um, an issue even even when I bought my house a few years ago um, in relation to the building and building and compliance report. And that uh, the report said that everything was okay. The compliance report said everything was approved. Turns out later that not everything was approved, and it's going to cost quite a few thousand dollars to rectify what should have been caught um, by the person that did the inspection. Those, those years ago. So they are critical to have a look at. The other thing that it will include is um, a copy of whatever is on the building file at, uh, at ACPLA. So have a look through the plans, make sure that it accords with what's there. We're not, all, we're not engineers and we're not builders, but everyone just needs to Okay, so that would show, in. say, an extension or something that's been built in addition to the original plans and that should all be recorded with them so you know that whatever's been done post, you know, it, it being originally built is, has all been signed off and approved. That's right. So if you if you know that an extension has been done to your property, but you don't get a copy of an approval for that extension in your building file, which should be part of the contract, right. then you know there's a problem and it's probably unapproved. Right. That should okay. also show up in a compliance report that's provided by the person that does the inspection. I don't know what the rules are here, but I know I had a deal in in Queensland where the, the home that I lived in for quite a while had a non-compliant pool fence. It was that way when we bought the place. Mm. And then when it came time to sell the place, uh, th thankfully nobody cared. Mm. But, but it was uh, something that – one of those little things you don't necessarily think about but you need to make sure all mm. those little boxes are checked mm. don't you so it's, that, that particular uh, thing is very front of mind for me because um, when we brought our place it's got a pool but it didn't, it didn't have a pool fence now as soon as you touch yeah. a fence or non-pool fence in the ACT it must be approved mm. we're three years in trying to get this thing approved and it's very complicated it's going to what we need well. to do it because you can't sell it without an approved without it an approved pool fence so yeah. in that process just yeah. another one of those bureaucratic boxes you make sure you get well, it ticked otherwise you're in all I, sorts of strife and i think that's why you know having mark come in today and sort of raise these things for the listeners to be able to just remember that as he said at the start it's not a simple it's it's not something that's just a tick 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 quick scan it off somewhere mm. i think we've you know shown a number of examples today where looking at the detail and understanding what you're actually moving into um, can have some fairly significant consequences or be them you know rather expensive if you haven't ticked the right box at the start i'm joined in the studio by luke smith from envision financial talking all things financial today in particular we're talking about buying a property so to help mm. us out from trinity law we also have mark peretti in the studio luke yeah look i think one of the things we touched on before the ad break was understanding why you're going to buy your property whether it's an emotional decision as a, as a family or if you're going to buy it as an investment opportunity and um, I think off the back of what Mark said earlier about getting the structure right and, and, and getting your legals right and getting your paperwork in line and understanding what you've bought and, and how you've bought it the one thing to keep in mind in the ACT which most people are aware of is that it is crown land it is a crown lease is that the yeah that's the that's terminology right. crown lease so you know you can claim stamp duty where you're buying something for investment purposes so, you know, the listeners should keep that in mind because it comes back to what am I buying and why? And if it's going to be for an investment purpose and you're going to receive rental income from that, that can make the interest costs on the property tax deductible, which are advantageous, as opposed to buying your family home, which are not. And then looking at the acquisition costs like the legals and the stamp duty and the things that you incur during the process 
of buying the property, where it's done for investment purposes in the ACT, those expenses can be tax deductible in the year that you incur them as well. So there's a, it's, it's a pretty rare situation because it's only the ACT that has the crown lease scenario, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, very different to freehold, but treated mm. the same way in the ACT. Yeah. So if you buy a per property in New South Wales, generally speaking, the stamp duty isn't tax deductible in the same manner because of that distinction between the Crown lease and the ACT. So just something to keep you know, in mind there and, and get some advice from your trusted advisor, be it your lawyer, your accountant, your financial planner, about the best way to maximise those opportunities to get your deductions up in the, in the year that you acquire the property. Fantastic. So, Mark, what exactly is the buying process that people should be prepared for? So, the process uh, starts off with, as we said before, the first thing you should do is find out how much you can borrow. So, talk to your bank um, or your broker. Um, once you've got that, the amount, then you look for the property. Um, when you've found the property, you can either start negotiating with the sellers or go to the auction, um, making sure you've got the unconditional finance approval. Now, if it is an auction, um, you will lose the uh, five-day cooling-off period. Five-day cooling off period in the ACT is that if you exchange contracts, um, you will get, the buyer will get five days within which to pull out of the contract um, and only forfeit, I think it's 0.25% of the purchase price, so a very minimal amount. Um, however, with an auction, that is waived. Now, once um, you have exchanged contracts, you are obligated to purchase and then you move to, to a settlement date, which is usually 30 days after exchange. Um, during that time, there's a few things that you'll need to do. So we're starting to move towards a bit of a, an, an e-conveyancing style of doing things. So everything's now online. New South Wales has just moved there. There's no more certificates of title. Rather, someone's got the right to deal with a certificate of title. So if, if I was in New South Wales and I had a mortgage, my bank would have the right to deal with it. Um, and, but there's actually no certificate. We're getting there slowly. And as part of that process, each uh, buyer or seller now in the ACT has to do a, a verification of identity. What that means, they have to meet with their lawyer, or if you don't have a lawyer, go to the post office and have them certify your identity um, with your passport and a driver's licence, or there's, a, there's a, a few different classes of things you need to provide. It does create a little bit of angst where you've been dealing with a client for a long time. You obviously know who they are. They know you are, and they get a little bit, well, oh, hang on, why do I have to do this? Mm. It's, it's not the lawyer's mm. um, issue. It's, a, it's, it's uh, legislated that we need to be able to verify that we have identified you through some... Uh, official documentation process, so right. using the, the okay. driver's license and um, birth certificate. Once that's done, we're ready to settle. Make sure the bank's ready to go. We settle, pay the money, and then pay stamp duty after you've been in the house. Right, perfect. I think that's 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 a really good segue because next week we've got David Thomas from Trilogy Funding coming in to address what you can borrow, how much you can borrow, what the bank's looking for, and that's that, that's probably going to move very nicely for next week into okay. What do you? What? How much can I actually get? Because that's a big question I get all yeah. the time. How much can I get? How much can I buy? How overcommitted can I become? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it really should say. Um, so you know, he's going to be in next week to talk about you know all things lending, which will be a, a really good sort of carry on from today because that's the the funding side of, of of what Mark wraps up when it's finished. So fantastic. So where do we get more information? So look, if you've got any questions or you're thinking about buying a property asset, um, you know six two six zero four seven four nine. That's the the Envision number www.envisionfinancial.com.au. We've also got the podcast uh, on iTunes and Spotify, the Strategy Stacker, where we have the, the the show and some other some other information. YouTube, you can subscribe to that. You know, we've got Envision Financial Canberra, where we record the show and have the key takeouts of each section. Um, so there's a few different ways people can um, can get to us. Mark, do you want to let people know how they can yeah. reach out to you if they've got any questions? Yeah, of course. So I'm at Trinity Law. We're located in Barton. Um, 
just go to our website. It's got all our details. You'll learn a bit more about the firm. It's uh, www.trinitylaw.com.au. Uh, where you'll see me, you'll see the rest of my team. Uh, any questions, just here, point them our way. Phone numbers and email addresses are all there. Beautiful. Fantastic stuff. Thanks very much. And uh, Luke, uh, we'll catch you again next week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, In- mate. Indeed. That's Luke Smith from Envision Financial. And today, Mark Pretty from Trinity Law.